The Link is a platform that supports and connects with creatives in Kansas City. I like to talk to people about why they create and the ways in which they create things, all in order to grow the community and feel less like a city and more like a collective. Excelsior! This week's episode, we're featuring a prolific artist. His talents include fashion, painting, design, and more, utilizing high concept and craft. Let's get into it. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Link Podcast. Today, my guest is Charles Swavey, modern day, modern day Renaissance man. Does a little bit of everything. I'll let him get into that a little bit further. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Um, yeah, like you said, I, I pretty much do it all. I'm a fiber major up here at KCAI. Um, traditionally, painter from high school, painted all the way through our high school. Came here, kind of got in. Uh, I got into sound, got interested in film. I've been doing a little bit of graphic design and uh, I'm really focusing on fashion and stuff now too. So just kind of dibbling and dabbling everywhere. All right, so what did you what did you start doing first um, as far as like art goes? You said you started painting first? Um, I think that that was the first thing I started taking serious. But the first thing I started doing, I think, I mean, probably most people was just drawing, and I just kind of, I kind of fell for it at a young age. When I was around like five, I just realized it was something that kind of felt free into me, and I just always doing it. This sophomore year, I realized I needed something to give me a scholarship. I needed, I needed a way to get to college or something. Cause I didn't know what I was doing after high school for real, and uh, I was just hooping at the time. But I knew I wasn't going to like the league or nothing, so. So I gotta figure it out. Then I started painting, and uh, I was like, "Man, this is kind of fun." But you know, if I get good enough at this, school's gonna be wanting me. So I just started going ham with it. And my senior year, I was pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, what what about painting <clears throat> did you like so much, and and what kind of made you want to create through painting? I mean, I think it's a few things. Like, first, painting is, like, one of the most traditional and, like, widely known um, ways of art making, I guess you could say. That's, like, looked at as art. You know, in high school, most people that are artists are painting. And that's what I was seeing around me when I go to the Nelson. Most of the stuff I saw was paintings. And that was just what kind of grabbed my attention first. And, uh... I think it's similar to drawing, but it gives you a little bit more freedom. I like how quickly you could color an image and how much freedom you had and just the variation in stroke. And I don't know, it's just a kind of energy to it and a kind of uh, expression of you putting your physical body and movement into it that makes it feel kind of special to me. Yeah. <clears throat> have you noticed any like common motifs or, or common things that you speak to through your art through painting yeah and it's not on purpose but I've been thinking about it lately and I think it's uh, I really focus a lot on like personal experience and how that might relate to others and uh, in, a, in other times I'll tell stories that I think need to be heard or told so if I'm going through something in life or I had an experience that I feel like I need to let out or speak out about in a way that maybe somebody else is going through or that I just need to get off my chest, 
you know, that'll definitely make a piece. Or if I learn something that's a historical fact or something about philosophy, and I feel like I could turn it into a powerful image, you know, then I'll get to it that way. So do you think that that's like your role as an artist or, or your role as a creator is to try to connect with people or tell um, your story or even other people's stories? Yeah, I think I'm starting to realize that uh, as an artist, my role, you know, I think artists for the most part are visual communicators. That's just the way I see it. And, you know, we all have something to say, but I think art is a way that is more accessible and like, uh, I think it's one of those things that where you can make an image and if it's powerful enough, it'll really connect with people on a wide scale, you know, small to old. And uh, yeah, you can really get a message across in an effective way if you know what you're doing. Yeah. So in order to, to get that message across, you kind of have to become a master of your craft. You said that you got into this uh, your sophomore year. What were kind of some of the first steps of trying to master your craft? Sit like sophomore year when I say I started taking it serious like when I dive into something I'll really dive into it and we would have like these little prompts in class like you know high school art classes and I was in uh, IB or advanced or what they call it AP but at my school we had the IB like inner back back lyric or whatever program and uh, man they would give us these prompts and that was kind of teaching me how to think creatively a little bit because at the time I didn't really understand it but outside of school when I knew it was really for me was when I was doing it on my own like outside of school you know we would spend a few hours in class doing it but I would come home and watch videos for hours on just like the old masters and just contemporary artists and just like the history of painting and like different painting techniques and I would keep practicing I found a lady outside of school to go um, to go practice with you know one of my friends at school her mom had she taught classes in her backyard and she had a studio in her backyard she's a painter uh bonnie brown and i man, i went in there just really know how to draw and she just let me play around and i just you know over time started figuring it out and you know making something of it yeah that's that's awesome so what made you decide to go to to art school to, to better yourself in that area? Well, the way I saw it is I just know what, I have an idea of what I want to do in the future. And I know that being here is going to help me get there. You know, I want to be a creative director. I want to be somebody who impacts the world with, you know, my art, my images, my creativity. And I just knew not exactly how it was going to work, but I knew that coming here would help me uh, learn how to be more creative and express myself in ways that I probably didn't even know existed. And that's, I've definitely been getting that since I've been here. I actually didn't even want to go to college, but I figured if I was going to go, I might as well go here, especially if that's giving me a scholarship. So, Yeah, yeah. So you said like, your future plans include being a creative director. Are you wanting to work, like, are you wanting to apply your art towards the corporate world, or are you wanting to uh, be more of like an entrepreneur? Like, what do you what do you see that looking like? Yeah, like when it comes to commerce, business, um, art, super fine art, like from the business side of things all the way to the 
you know, super fine art side of things. I don't, I don't want to attack every single angle, but I think a good middle ground is um, things like the fashion business, which I'm most interested in. You know, I grew up watching my mom in the cosmetology business in uh you know, she's a hairstylist. So I'm just like learning that all of these different creative endeavors, you know, even like makeup artists and, uh, you know, graphic designers make posters that we see everywhere and advertisements like that's all art, too. And, you know, being that my dad has been a businessman since I was young and I got a lot of people in my family that do business. I want to do both. But the way I see it is I'll, I'll probably end up being a creative director of my own agency and or a fashion brand or just brand in general you know i don't know exactly what that brand's gonna look like but i want to be able to be surrounded by other creatives and be able to put other creatives in a better position you know financially and just mentally and just in life yeah that's awesome so let's talk about Swavy customs a little bit you've been uh, you started up your own your own fashion line your own brand uh how long have you been doing that Man, I've been making clothes and shirts. Like, I've been making T-shirts since, like, can I say middle school? Yeah. I mean, well, it started off, I was doing I was doing custom shoes and stuff, and the clothes was kind of merch for that because I was always interested in fashion. I didn't really have much of design sense back then, but I was like, man, I'm going to just make stuff anyway because it was just in me to make stuff. So I would get shirts made and uh, whenever I would do vendor events, I started doing those pretty young, like seventh, eighth grade. I was just selling shirts and stuff back then. But then I started, I think just over time, um, my design sense grew. I started looking into like actual fashion designers and seeing how they're operating, how they're moving and trying to like emulate them and kind of take what they're doing and making it my own in a way. And I actually made my business at LLC in 2018, like started taking it serious and like looking to get like my business in order and, you know, treating it like an actual business and, you know, planning on pushing it further and stuff like that. Yeah. What do you think that that like, what do you think stemmed that fascination in fashion? Man, that's a good question. That's something I'm I'm still trying to figure out. I feel like it's, it's had to come from somewhere in my childhood. I mean, I want to say it's my mom, maybe. Actually, nah, my whole family is, like, just creative. I like, my auntie's a seamstress. My grandma's a seamstress. My great-grandma's a seamstress. I was just told that my great-grandma's, like, one of her relatives was a seamstress, so I guess it kind of was, like, in me. But I've just always been super interested in it since I was young. Like, when I was young, the, like, we would always watch the award shows, and I was always super interested in what they had on. My mom was always looking at the hair, and I was always critiquing the outfits. And it was just, like, a natural thing for me to do. And she would always ask me, like, what she should wear. And over time, I just kind of grew this sense of, like, okay, this looks good, this doesn't and starting to build an opinion about it just naturally. Yeah, so whenever it comes to, you know, like there's obviously like there's, there's streetwear, there's there's custom wear, and then there's like high fashion. Like where do you see yourself in that? Or is it like painting you kind of want to attack every angle? It's funny you ask that because this is something I've actually been thinking 
thinking about a lot lately. And um, I think I came to the conclusion that I want to have different, I want to have uh, different brands or different variations of my brand at different price points, kind of like Ralph Lauren, because he's like the GOAT, really. Um, so he has, you know, Polo Ralph Lauren, which is like legend status. And then he has the stuff that's really expensive. He has stuff for kids. He has stuff for just everybody every, in every different price point. So whether the brands have different names or whether I just own several companies, I want to be able to give my create or lend my creativity to people in every price point. So people who might not be able to afford, you know, super high fashion or avant-garde stuff that's, you know, you see Paris Fashion Week, but they can afford, you know, a $20, $30 tee from PacSun or something that's a little cheaper that you might see, like, just the normal kids in, you know, middle or high school wearing or something like that. I want to be able to have something for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you decided to come into the fiber department at KCAI. What has that experience been like for you? It's been, it's been really eye-opening. I mean... I don't know, I guess it was really hard for me to choose a major uh, just because I was a painter at first, but I knew that I really wanted to learn uh, more about sewing and construction and constructing garments and just more about textiles and and fiber in general, uh, more about fabrics. And, you know, I came in kind of expecting to be super limited and uh, not to really have freedom to paint or to do to explore into a lot of different directions. But, you know, toward the end of the year, you know, I was just able to be honest with my with my professor. And I was just like, man, you know, I really didn't expect that to let me be free at all coming in here. And she was like, fiber is just about transforming material. It's not anything specific. So, you know, I see seniors doing things that are sculptural. I see people making clothes. I see people doing quilts. I see people doing weavings and scarves and, you know, even film and all kind of different stuff. So the thing I appreciate most is just like the family environment that it feels like and how nice the faculty are, how much they actually care about us. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what matters, that they are really professionals in what they do and that they do their best and as much as they can to give us what they feel is best for us. I'll begin that in fiber for real, for real. Yeah. So what were you hoping to learn that you could implement into your brand from Fiber? I mean, the main things I knew I needed was a bunch of sewing practice, uh, learning how to construct garments, and just a, a, some kind of knowledge about fabrics. Because I, really, I mean, I really didn't have much knowledge. I mean, you know, like the simple stuff like that of the cotton, but, you know, I didn't know, like, that there were a whole bunch of different types and that the way that they're made in a main, uh, made in the factory makes a huge difference in the quality and the cost. And it's just a lot of stuff behind the scenes in making these fabrics and that goes into clothes that I didn't know about. And so I'm starting to learn it. And it's, it's kind of helping me figure out that like after I leave here or like on my own free time or during the summer, like what kind of internships I want to take to further my knowledge in like more specific areas, but pretty much anything I can, anything I can implement into the brand, I wanted to, I want to take it in. 
Yeah, so were you constructing garments before coming into fiber, or were you uh, mostly doing like streetwear where you were just controlling like the graphic side of things? Exactly. I was doing I was doing mostly streetwear and like customizing. Like customizing is my thing. And that's where Sway Custom came from. I, that's all I was doing at first was just customizing shoes. You know, and after customizing shoes, I got into I got heavy into sneakers, uh, and being an entrepreneur and you know restoring shoes uh like i would buy them restore them and then flip them for more then i would start buying them and customizing them and then flipping them for more and then it was to a point where people was bringing me their own shoes to customize and they would just pay me to customize them i was like well i ain't gotta buy them no more i just gotta buy paint and so i was doing that and it led me into fashion even more and uh so i started painting on clothes and just painting on my own jackets and I was just really just doing it because I liked it I, I wasn't really painting on clothes for people at first but as I was wearing my like jean jackets and stuff to school or like my distressed denim of course people were like who did that or oh that's cool or whatever and I'm just like yeah, I can make you one you know give me a little money I got you and so yeah, it just started off like that. Then I realized if I want to play in the big leagues, you know, Gucci and Louis Vuitton and you know all the big luxury brands, I gotta have some actual knowledge about construction and draping and how to draft a pattern, and, or at least be able to direct somebody else who can do it and hire and like know what I'm actually talking about. So I'm just really trying to gain that knowledge now, so I can actually play in the big leagues. Yeah, so how were you producing your clothes before? Were you sending them to to printers with your designs or were you like screen printing them yourself? Um, it depends. Like a lot of the time a lot of the time, yeah, I was I would like make a design on my computer or like even on my phone, like on just like little design apps. Or I would draw up a design and send it to and I had this guy in Atlanta that my mom was friends with. You know. He was making the shirts for me and just sublimating them. And that's pretty much all I knew. I was like, man, I got these colorful designs and I just had a logo. And I was like, man, just put my logo on there. Uh, do something colorful, do something shiny. Whatever you got, just do it. Send it to me, you know, we'll get it paid for, sell them. And so, yeah, a lot of times it just started off with me doing stuff digitally and then somebody else printing it for me. And, uh... Just like over time, I started painting on them myself, and I started learning how to print on them myself. But I still, I still like will make a design and have somebody do it for me. But now that I have the knowledge, I can be a lot more specific about exactly how I want it done. But yeah, I have no problem paying somebody else who like has a whole setup and factory for that to get it done a lot more efficiently because time is a luxury. You know, I'd rather spend money than time because I can get money back. I can't get time back. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> how did you get into like more of the the digital side of art? <clears throat> how did you get into like these programs and uh, that supplemented your fashion? And then you you had mentioned you do a bit of graphic design. Like, what was your introduction to those sort of things? I think uh, I think I was really interested in like I, once I started getting into art and just realizing how much art was everywhere. I guess I kind of wanted to, I just really wanted to explore and see what it was about. 
um, I was kind of, I got really into Shepard Fairey and I was like really into flat graphics and stuff with sharp lines. And and my teacher was telling like, you know, that's graphic design and you know, most of that stuff is made on the computer. And so in high school, I just started taking all the graphic design classes. And after I took one, I was like, okay, well, I just kept taking the class. I took graphic design one, graphic design two, graphic design three. And by the time I was at three, I was like, okay, I'm getting kind of good at this and I know it, it can be really lucrative if you run the business right so why not keep it up and I realized like on accident that you know learning Photoshop was a really quick way for me to be able to bring my clothing ideas to fruition visually before like actually constructing them because being that I couldn't sew for real at the time I could take stuff and like digitally collage it together and at least get a visual idea of what I want, you know, or what, you know, when I finally can so or when I finally can't get it made somehow, what I want to see. So it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. So at what point did you start doing like commissions for people and doing logo design, things like that? Um, let me think, let me think, let me think. Commissions. Well, whenever it comes to like looking at it as commissions, because I mean, I guess the very first thing was the custom shoes, and that was I started that second semester, eighth grade year. So I was about 14 at the time, and uh, I was just doing them for friends around my school. Like, I did a pair of mine first or a couple pair of mine first then one of my cousins I did a pair for him but I was just posting them on Facebook and Instagram and uh, I had like a little following so people it was kind of creating like a little buzz because I would like take uh, like the popular colorways of Jordans and stuff and put those colorways on different shoes and just do like little creative stuff to get people talking and people would see them at school and I finally got somebody to let me do theirs and so I did this one dude's shoes and it just, I don't know, it just picked up slowly but surely. And then the, the summer after that, what was it, the summer after that? No, it was the summer after ninth grade year. I finally had a custom go viral and it went viral on Facebook, like a million, 500,000 views, like, yeah. like crazy tens of thousands of likes. Like it was, it was nuts, bro. And after that, like, I didn't know what was going on. My phone was blowing up. I could, like, my notifications were so crazy. I had to, like, go change my settings because, like, I couldn't even use my phone. It was nuts. But, like, that was the first time where I saw, like, the power of social media and, like, how to, like, I started kind of figuring out what it means to, like, promote and market and, like, how to get customers and, you know, it it kind of, like, forced me to learn how to be a businessman really early because I wasn't even in a position to really capitalize off of that. Uh, uh, what do I call it? Like, the impressions or, like, all of that eyes, all of the uh, vision I was getting at the time. But, you know, it did business did pick up a lot after that. And that's pretty much when I was, like, I stopped taking basketball as serious. I just was doing that. Then it kind of went over into painting. Um, I started doing painting commissions 
people start hitting me up after I got good, I guess. So it might sound crazy, but when I, I start, first started painting January 2016, and it was pretty trash. And by September that year, I made like a painting of Beyonce or something like that. Like, it wasn't nothing crazy. It was real good, or at least it was it was real good to me. And my teacher was like real surprised because it was like a big jump because I had only done like three paintings and just spent a whole bunch of time on them. And I think it was either it's still in 2016 or maybe maybe 2017. I made my first airbrush portrait, and it's like in leading vocals right now, and that was like within a year or just over a year of me learning how to paint. So it kind of happened fast because like I was saying earlier, like once I realized that that's what I wanted to do, I was dead serious. Like I, every single day I was trying to get better and it just kind of picked up quick. And after people were seeing that, you know, my stuff was kind of decent, you know, of course they was hitting me up like, hey, you know, my relative died or you know, this so-and-so's birthday and I want to get something for my family member. So it kind of just went like that. Yeah. So through that, like, what have, what have you kind of learned about branding yourself or like marketing yourself? I think the biggest thing that I've learned about just like business and like kind of feeling the market and knowing like what to put out is just that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, you'll have your art that you want to make and you'll have your art that you love. And then you'll have what's hot and what the market is looking for or what the climate is like. And you just got to find a balance between the two, really, because, you know, it's a whole different mindset. Like the further you go into the, you know, the quote unquote, like fine art mindset, it gets real far from what the average person is really studying or looking at visually and what makes sense to them. So, you know, I just do a lot of visual research. I see what the people are into, what they already like and what's out there that's popular and and realizing that the most important thing you can do as an artist is have well, I won't say it's the most important thing you can do as an artist. I'll say The best way to monetize your talents as an artist is for your art to be instantly recognizable and to do things that when people see it, they're like, oh, yeah, Swavy did that. Like, or, oh, yeah, Parker did that. Oh, yeah, so-and-so did this. You know, that's, you know, if you see everybody that's at the top of the game, all of the top brands, they're at the top because if somebody's wearing it or you see that piece on the wall, you know exactly who did it like that. And it's not because it's not like nobody else, but it's because they did something that they did once and they kept repeating it. And whether in different ways or the same ways, but, you know, they made it recognizable enough and made it their design signature where people was like, Okay, I like that because I noticed that like, you know, the average consumer's brain is is kind of simple. Like, they want something, 
they want to feel like a part of something or like a part of a clan or a part of a group. So if they see that there's this specific design feature that they can recognize, they want to have it on. So when other people see it, they can recognize it too. And it's like, okay, we all see this. We all like this. We all understand what this is. We all understand where this came from, you know? Yeah. That kind of speaks to, to as an artist, you wanting to connect with people and make people feel. Yeah. 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 I think that's something I've noticed a lot too, is the idea of people wanting to, to be a part of like a collective, um, or a lifestyle. Um, I think that's, that's a huge part of it too. It's just like being able to, to show the fact that you're really about it. You know, like this is, this is your world. You a little bit of everything and like creativity is what you do. And the fact that your designs don't only speak to a brand, they speak to a specific type of lifestyle. Um, you're, you're talking a little bit earlier about like doing, doing things in different price ranges where they're accessible to different people. How much do you think that like accessibility impacts your work? I think that's huge. Cause to me personally, I think everybody should be able to see a piece of work, you know, whether it's somebody who's never studied fine art at all to somebody who, you know, Virgil has a saying where he's like, I want my work to be able to affect the t- the tourists and the purists. You know, the purists has put their 10,000 hours in studying this thing and they feel like they are expert. And the tourists is... You know, I want to go to the Eiffel Tower because we're in Paris. Like, you know, it's like the obvious thing to do. But when they can both appreciate it, you know, you got something. And, you know, I'm starting to understand what that looks like. And it's real hard to find things that are universally accepted amongst people. But, you know, one of my favorite artists since I started was Kahinde Wiley, right? And I don't know if he's my favorite anymore, but I still respect him and his business acumen and what he does and how he's got his acclaim. Um, I, I respect him a lot for that. And he has pieces in a Nelson. And I don't know if you saw the 30 Americans yeah. show, right? And you yeah. saw that huge piece he had on the wall. So one thing I noticed, right? At the end of the show, they had a little thing where they had pictures of every piece and then they had little cards where you could write down which piece was your favorite of the show. Dog, Kahine Wiley's painting, his stack of notes was at least three times bigger than every other stack. And I'm like, you know what? That's crazy that like now that I've been studying art for years and I see it totally different than I do when I first started and I can still appreciate his art in the same way if not more <laughs> and so can everybody else who's just coming to the Nelson, you know, for all, for a multitude of different reasons, you know, it might just be some, you know, some kids who's here with their parents who maybe five or six years old and just like, Ooh, that's pretty. Like I like the colors. And then it might be somebody who's like, Oh man, these brushstrokes are mommy and Cezanne or whoever in the old masters, <laughs> you know, they appreciate it differently, but I think stuff like that is interesting to me and stuff I try to recognize because I want my art to be able to touch everybody and make everybody feel something. Yeah, I think Kehinde's pieces are really successful because of the universe, because of two things. One, because there is a universalness to it 
with him using floral patterns, you know, referencing nature and things that everybody understands. Right. Um, but second, I think it's like representation, like a new representation of how black people are depicted, but also representing, um, I think there's something that people are fascinated about of how we represent one another, um, but more so whenever that applies to culture. Uh, do you think that that's something that you've like really delved into with your artwork, um, depicting people and how that is and how you represent certain cultures? It's definitely, definitely. And I feel like that's another one of my roles as um, as an artist and as a African-American artist and just as an African-American who wants to have a voice in this country. Like, I just feel like it's important to, you know, to kind of change the narrative. Like when you see that, you know, like when you know how it is at home and you know how you are, you know how your people are and you see it for what it is, but you know that everybody else might not, you know, and it's not that I I don't necessarily blame them. I'm not necessarily like angry about it, but I definitely feel like, you know, my job as an artist is to give people a different perspective and give people a different way to look at the coin you know like if I can help you look at a situation a little bit differently and feel something about it then I feel like you know I did my job so yeah I use a lot of black figures in my portraits and you know try to pull emotion strings whether it's happy or sad or you know I'll try to make them dramatic in different ways whether it's my use of color or the way the portrait is formed or like what the figure is doing in the portrait. Those are all like things I think really hard about, you know, when I'm making decisions as I'm painting because, or as I'm, you know, any art form, I'm trying to bring my painting in the way that I think visually in that aspect into other things. But I just reference painting for a minute. I think a lot about those decisions that's being made because I think representation is super duper important. Super important. Yeah. How do you think that that role has has impacted your fashion as far as it being accessible and, and you representing culture in that way? That's a really great question because that's something that I'm just now starting to think about, honestly. You know, when... I'll put it like this. You know, it's easy to look at what you see is already out there and be like, ooh, I like that. I want to be like that. You know, and it's kind of hard to get to a point where, you know, especially as somebody who hasn't been in the game for a real long time to try to do something that's different or like to make a splash in the industry so I say that to say like most of the people who are at the pinnacle of fashion are white men and you know that's all I see I'm like oh man Tom Ford oh Ricardo Tishi you know I want to be like them and then Kanye West come through going crazy and then when Virgil comes he starts making a splash it's like they almost try to pit Kanye and Virgil against each other and it's like damn it can only be one black man in fashion and as I'm looking at them I'm like oh snap you can do it this way you can do it that way and then I start looking at somebody like Kirby Jean Raymond he has a 
a brand called Pierre Moss. And hearing his story changed my perspective completely all the way again because he comes from a whole different uh, upbringing, a whole different perspective. And, uh, you know, he actually makes work and he does his fashion shows about social issues dealing with, you know, black people and just like race in America and just like different problems like that. And I was like, and that's huge that you're so talented that the masses or that the big corporations give you this platform and then you use that platform to to help you know your people or to help the representation or the perspective that people look at you as a man and us as a people and I think that's huge and that's that's really kind of changed the way that I look at fashion it's made me think about you know, what do I want? Like, what do I, what message do I want to send when I'm making clothes? And so that's something I'm still trying to figure out. And, you know, it's the first instinct for me is to make something that is visually pleasing. Like, that's just how my brain works. But, you know, knowing that my role as an artist is important, you know, moving forward, you know, whether it's the way that I make the clothes or who I put in the clothes or who I am targeting as a consumer, who I want my demographic to be, just different things like that. I want that all to be uh, a reflection of me trying to make a positive impact on people as a whole and for the representation and the perspective of how people look at, you know, black people in America and across the globe. Yeah, I think that can also be done by just like, you know, be, being yourself and, and obviously being a person who who is black and, and representing your clothes in a way that isn't exactly traditional. You right. know, I think that street wave, there's a there's a generalization that that is like urban fashion, that that, right. is, that, that is black culture. Um, and in many ways it does stem from that. But I think that a lot of the, the pieces that I've seen you work on um, I mean, first, first, I'll say the fact that you are running a business that your name is attached to. I feel like that's the first step of being like, like representing a black artist being yourself. But I think that some of the other pieces I've seen you work on, I'm going to reference a specific piece. You did a denim jacket that you had, um, like added, you had added pieces of like white lace. Um, it was just very, uh, there was just like a very like ephemeral aspect to it. Um, and, and it felt like this, this, conjoining of urban fashion and <clears throat> fine art or like high fashion mixing and I feel like that was a very different way of where it really challenged the genre of like what that article was in and I feel like that was a good step towards like <clears throat> what does urban fashion mean or what does streetwear even mean All right. how, how can the boundaries of that be pushed um, yeah thank you I appreciate that that was that was kind of the goal yeah, I just want to keep pushing it further. Yeah. So you've got you've got a mural project that you're working on for the Black Archives. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that project and what that's going to look like? Yeah. So um, just a, a disclaimer. It's kind of it's kind of heavy. And honestly, when I first agreed to do the mural, you know, I kind of agreed prematurely. I didn't realize it was going to be such a heavy topic. I mean, I would have agreed anyways, but. I was super eager to do to work bigger 
and to do just bigger projects um, that take up more space, that more people are going to see that's working with a bigger organization and with bigger pay, just bigger. And um, so I got a call. Hey, you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, I, I go up there. I look at the space. And then uh, the director of the Black Archives, you know, she comes up to me and she was like, yeah, so we plan in a... We planted an exhibition. It's called The Stories in the Soil. And uh, it's a lynching memorial. And I was like, whoo-hoo-wee, that's, that's heavy. That's that's a heavy topic. So I'm like, man. And the reason why, you know, I had to take a deep breath and, like, I raised my eyebrows when she said that is because, you know, that's a topic that has so much history and, like, you know, it's such a charged word when I say a charged word, it's like there's so many different connotations that come from it. It's so many different emotions that, you know, I feel even saying the word lynch, you know, it's just, it's kind of, and knowing how much research goes into every artistic endeavor for me, I just knew that like going down that path could get real dark and that I just had to prepare myself for that and uh man doing the research for it has been something else I've learned a lot about the history you know I knew it was bad but god damn I didn't know it was that bad like you know I hear the stories you know my grandma had a grandma and a grandpa who were actually slaves. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago. You know, we probably, like, 100 years removed, you know, civil rights problems and civil rights, uh, you know, like the hype, Martin Luther King and, you know, the Civil War and everything. You know, all that, all those issues were super huge between, like, the 40s and the 60s. And, you know, it's still a little bit of problems today, but, you know... I would hear the stories, but just hearing the just the demeanor that people had and like how these lynch, uh, how these lynchings and like these lynch, uh, they would call them grotesque carnivals. They were looked at as like a party in a way or as like a sporting event. Like there's pictures and postcards that you can see online. And it's like a whole gallery that I've been doing research on called Without Sanctuary. And you can just Google it and look at the pictures for yourself. But you can see images of like children and like, you know, grown men just smiling, like looking at these bodies hanging from trees. I was just like, wow, people really didn't look at us like humans. They, you know, they had the laws that we were, what, three fourths of a man and that, you know, that we were animals at some point, which is, of course, ludicrous. But it's like to try to think and fathom that that was like a reality and to see pictures of it was like really gut-wrenching and like breathtaking for me to do that research so yeah it's it's a crazy topic but I'm excited to be able to take that and to give my own interpretation and to give a representation or artwork that's going to be looked at as something that's historical, not only because it's in the Black Archives of Mid-America, which is a really historical site in itself, but, you know, making the artwork on this scale that's about this topic that is 
gonna be shown for months and possibly permanently. You know, when I'm affecting history like that or having something, having my artwork gonna be on display for historical purposes, I just have to be real careful about the choices I'm making, but I'm excited to be the one to be able to have that chance to speak. And so, you know, it's a really, uh, I don't even know if daunting is the word, but it's like exciting and uh, intimidating, I bet. Yeah, exactly. It's like intimidating and like, uh, it makes me like nervous in a good way. Like it's like good nervous energy, you know what I mean? So, yeah. a project like that comes with a lot of power and responsibility, but but I definitely understand that that's got a, that kind of content has to weigh on your heart a bit too. Heck yeah. yeah. Seeing those pictures, it's like super hard. Like I didn't even, like I wanted to stop doing the research because it was just getting to me at a point. I'm like, God, I, like, I can't believe this is happening, but it's, I just had to tell myself like, who am I to stop looking at these pictures when there are people who had to see this in real life? You know, my, my teacher was just telling me earlier today that, you know, lynching was just made a federal crime yesterday. Really? Yes. It's 2020, bro. <laughs> it's February 2020. And so, you know, I have to fact check it, of course, but he's a pretty smart dude. I don't think he would just say that and not mean it. You know, he's teaching the class on the artist role in society. You know, I'm pretty sure he knows what he's talking about. But to hear him say that, and he said they've been working on it for a minute, and I think it's called the uh, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Law or Anti-Lynching Act. But it's like, golly, just now? You know, that should have been handled 60, 70 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, just to think that, you know, these issues are still kind of being resolved, at least in a legal fashion, is is insane and uh, you know people had to actually deal with this in real life and had to like not only see their family members you know possibly die or get castrated or hung or whatever the case but I feared that it might happen to them so I just had to keep on looking and keep on searching and keep on trying to educate myself so that I could speak with knowledge and from a place of like at least knowing a little bit about what I'm talking about and not just from my primary knowledge of what I what I thought the situation was so this has got to be done yeah yeah and uh when is that mural going to be up if I'm if I'm uh remembering correctly it's April 3rd so I think it's the first Friday of April if I'm not mistaken it'll uh be opening and uh, yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Is that the Black Archives of Mid America? It's on 17th and uh, I Paseo, 17th and Vine. It's over in the 18th and Vine district. It's off 17th. It's right over there. But yeah, it'll be up early April. Yeah, dude, that's that's exciting to hear. And uh, that sounds like a tough opportunity, but it, it sounds like a good one. It seems like you're able to. Um, speak to culture and, and possibly even impact culture, which I think is is really the point of a project like that because exactly. you're speaking on something that impacted black culture so drastically. And so to think that you're able to impact the cult- the same culture in a positive way, I think is um, is tough, but, but also really rewarding. 
Right. Um, so you've also got a few other things coming up. Under the Rose Fashion Show. You want to speak to that some? Yeah. Um, man, my homie Jonah, I'm, I'm just super thankful and grateful um, for her to even ask me to be a part of this because, uh, you know, she's talented. And, uh, yeah, so we got a show coming up. It's going to be at, at least currently, it's going to be at Verde Leaf um, for 2020. So April 4th, which is the Saturday, you know, Sprite, it's the next day. And, uh, you know, we're having a show. I think it's, it's going to be, it's either four or five designers. And, uh, yeah, it'll be Jonah Rose, Rex Wall, Marley Polka, uh, Chris Velez, and yourself. Okay, yeah. Yep. So it'll, it'll be all of us and all of the other designers are really talented. So I'm just grateful to be a part of that group. And, um, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be able to put my art on a platform to be seen in front of my peers and our faculty and uh, the surrounding art community and uh, possibly even art communities in other cities, states, countries, you know, who knows who will see it through just through the city and through social media. But, you know, I'm just grateful for the platform and I'm looking forward to it. It'll be my first time. Um, showing in a serious show. Um, I think it'll be my first time showing my fashion in a show, period. So I'm looking forward to this kind of like, a, you know, debut, I guess you could say. Yeah. So so what kind of considerations are you making? Like, uh, how, how is your fashion going to be different in a show setting versus what you've done in the past? So lately, I've been thinking a lot about proportions and uh, I've been thinking a lot about proportions and uh, draping and like how how the garments flow on the body and like what they look like. And, uh, you know, in a, in a situation like this where there's going to be different models of different sizes and and I make a lot of unisex clothing and, uh, you know, clothing that's like, you know, oversized or just like has... I don't know, I guess like a unconventional fit to it. I'm thinking more about what it's going to look like on the runway. You know, I do a lot of things. I do a lot with like metallics and iridescence and, uh, you know, glitters and you know stones and stuff like that. How, where should I place them? How was the light going to hit it? How was the fabric going to flow? Um, you know, how should I... I crop this to fit this model or that model. So I'm just, you know, it's a lot more behind the scenes work. Usually when I'm getting asked to make a commission, you know, they give me a size and boom, I just pretty much make whatever I want or it's for me. And so I know exactly how I want it. I can put it on my body and cut it up how I want it to, fix it up, whatever. But it's just a lot more behind the scenes work and just a couple more considerations to make. Yeah, so like, what are the some of the first steps that you're taking to to undergo some of those challenges? Like, are you working with specific models to make sure that the that the clothing is going to fit right, uh, or you know, whatever? What are, what are some of the considerations that you're having for some of the first steps that you're taking towards that? Right. So right now, in this stage, as far as models go, we're all deciding still on the model list. So like, we have models that we kind of have in mind. I know probably like one or two that are gonna be my models. But what I'm 
what I'm mainly getting in order right now is, um, you know, I spoke a little earlier just about like design signature and like having what you make be recognizable. And uh, I think cohesiveness, I don't know if cohesiveness is a word, but I think you get what I'm saying, yeah. is, uh, is important or a big part of having a design signature or something that's recognizable. And so I'm just getting my group of fabrics and my group of um, colors and my group of textures that I'm going to be using between piece to piece together and designing those out and just trying to make each piece unique in its own way, but also cohesive so that it, it all looks like, you know, it all looks like I did it and it's all unique in the same way, but also unique in different ways. So just trying to keep, just trying to keep the collection cohesive first and just make sure it's designed, uh, in the way that I'm satisfied with. And then once I figure out who the models are going to be, then I can start figuring out, okay, I need this to fit like this. And I'll, I'll probably get inspired by, you know, how tall the model is, you know, height, shape, you know, everything, style, everything. And, uh, kind of fix the outfits to match them as well because they're going to be representing me but they also will be representing themselves so I want them to be comfortable and to be able to be their best selves on the stage and uh so yeah I'm looking forward to it but I'm just like in a design process right now getting all the thoughts together because the way I work is I do a lot of like pre-work but once I get to it, I work really fast. So I know once everything is set in stone and I have like all the certain things together, like what pieces are going to be what, what models are going to be wearing them, what uh, fabrics and textures I'm using, everything's going to be like. So I'm just in that stage right now. I'm trying to figure out like the, the system and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> so how do you think that... Um, like what, what is this this fashion going to be like how is it going to be placed in the spectrum is it going to be um, pretty similar to the old collections that you've done or are you trying to kind of place yourself in a new type of genre so initially I was thinking like I want to jump into a new genre but I think what feels closest to where I'm at right now and where I'm comfortable um, extending my creativity the furthest is kind of in what you were talking about earlier, like within uh, asking streetwear questions phase, like streetwear slash luxury, like streetwear, but with the twist on it, with the artistic fine art touch and questioning what is and what should be and what shouldn't be, and just putting my own spin on it all together. So, you know, the way I see it, you can call it whatever you want to call it. If I say it's luxury, then it's luxury. But I think people will probably look at it and be like, okay, that's really well-crafted or really creative, artistic streetwear. So luxury streetwear lane somewhere around there. Yeah. Is this one of like the first official series where you're like making the garments? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, since... Since I started this school year in August, I've like really started 
you know, sourcing fabrics and cutting out pieces and like piecing them together, whether it's like literally from zero scratch or like zero scratch, putting pieces together and then cutting them into the patterns and putting those pieces together and constructing the whole entire garment or taking part of a garment adding it to another part of a garment. I've been doing a lot of like collage and treating it in a painterly way. You know, I noticed that painting has affected my other creative endeavors like so, so much. And just the way that I like to collage things and see all of my materials in front of me and then go from there and choose and uh, place where I feel. So even though I do a lot of planning and it goes fast, I still make last minute decisions as I'm creating and respond to what I'm seeing in front of me. So. I can't remember if I answered the initial question or not, but what what was the initial question? Uh, just like how, like whether or not you place this in streetwear or or like kind of where you see this on the spectrum of, of fashion. Right. Oh, and then you said something about uh, you know, constructing garments, and if I'm looking to do more construction and making them from scratch. And, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, so there'll be a lot more of that. I think I'm gonna still. Um, not only source fabrics, but source different garments and take pieces from those. It'll still be a little bit of a customizer aspect to it, but it'll be a lot. Like everything will have a hands-on touch. Everything will, everything will all be touched, cut, sewn by me. And there won't be anything that I just designed on my computer and like made a call and purchased it. Nothing like that. Everything is gonna be touched cut and sold by me from this point yeah and really being able to flex uh those <clears throat> those skills that you've been able to learn in fibers exactly yeah so we'll we'll back up a little bit you had mentioned that you were also into things like film and audio um like what are what, what are some of your like creative facets in there yeah so I think I kind of realized that I was interested in that sort of thing uh, foundation year when I took a class with uh, Jean Schmidt or Maza. And she's the head of foundations now. But last year, she was my professor. And I took a class with her called uh, like audio or visual and the audio correspondences or something like that. But basically, it was an audio visual class where to me, it sounded like we were about to study synesthesia, where I don't know if you're familiar with synesthesia, but it's like where 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 like a lot of musicians will say they have it and they'll say that like they can see the sound like they can oh, see okay. the sound as that. colors and like they make paintings with the sounds that they see and so they see it differently and I think what Gene was teaching us to do is to use all of our senses and to use all of them to create and to take in and to put back out information and how to do that more acutely. Um, so she taught me really how to listen more properly, how to record sound more properly, how to manipulate that sound and make art from that and how to make visuals to correspond to it, whether it's painting, whether it's sculpture, whether it's video, film. And uh, then she introduced me to Cyan Meeks and they showed a presentation on projection mapping. And I was like, whoa, I need to learn that. So now I'm in a projection mapping class with Cyan um, a year later. 
and uh, you know, I'm loving it. But at the time, you know, I did a collaboration with my friend D. That's my homie, Deanna Jones. He's another artist. Uh, he's real interested in film as well. And uh, yeah, so I did a. I'm kind of interested in like producing and making making sound art and uh, you know whether people are singing or rapping or there's any lyrics over it or not I'm just really interested in like the instrumentals of it and just how different sounds come together to make a cohesive uh, you know piece of work and so I made the soundtrack for that uh, piece of art that we did and then he did the animation and we projected it through a screen I mean, we projected it through the projector onto a screen that we built. And it was like a, a 9 by 12 foot screen that we built. And uh, if I had to describe it, it was like in the shape of a V. And the V was uh, going backwards in space. And so the projector was, it's one projector, but we mapped it to where the animation was kind of mirrored. So it was on both screens and both screens, they kind of touched each other in the middle. So it looked like it was going back in space and it was all like geometric shape. So it was real trippy. It kind of made you feel like, like you were going back and forward into space. And we wanted to like play with emotions and it was really just an experiment, but it made me realize that that was something else I wanted to delve into and that playing with other experiences other senses and using those as another experience within my art making something that I'm super interested in yeah so how do you feel like projection um, and your experiments in audio has like impacted your other work well right now I'm still trying to figure out exactly how it's going to join my other work I mean I have some visions of like what it might be able to do in the future but we've just been doing a lot of uh, tests right now at least for me because I'm not I'm no film major or anything like that and it's still like a new medium for me so I'm still trying to like explore the medium and like get my craft together but you know in the future like I'm really interested in stage design and like uh, you know there are these really eclectic Paris fashion week shows that I'm like in love with where you got the fashion on the ground. You got you might have somebody playing the drums. You might have people swinging in the air. You might have a huge screen, you know, that's playing a movie behind the fashion show. Or you might have a concert where, you know, I went to Drake's concert last year where, uh, you know, his Scorpion or the Three Amigos tour with him and Amigos, the whole stage was a screen. So with every song that came on, there was an animation on the screen to like go along with it. And it looked like at some points like a shark was coming out of the screen and going back in. And then he had like a Ferrari in the air flying around, like a Ferrari drone flying around the crowd. Like, I think that immersive experience is what I'm most interested in. And so not only projection mapping, but I think projection mapping as a tool to help facilitate that immersive experience that I'm looking for will be uh, really interesting. So I just, that's just a tool I want to have in my toolbox moving forward. So I'll be able to, you know, pull back on that. And 
Yeah, it sounds like in the future it, you would like to be doing the kind of work where you're not only just doing um, fashion, but you're creating like the entire experience of exactly. showing your fashion and everything that goes into that. Exactly. I'm just I'm really interested in the idea that uh, things are getting a lot more technological and uh, you know I mean I was doing this study on like simulacrum and simulacra and. You know, I, I'm not gonna go into like exactly what that is right now, but in, in short, you know, things are getting a lot more technological. And like, what, you know, you might hear people say stuff like, "If then if you didn't see it on Instagram, it didn't happen." You know, that saying kind of speaks to what I'm talking about, and I just feel like there are just some things that you just can't experience through Instagram. Like, there are some things that if you were not there. You just will not have experienced it. But if you were there, oh, my God, it might just have changed your life. And it might have been one of the best sensory experiences that you've ever been to or been through. And I want to be able to provide that for people and give people something that's here now and not necessarily gone forever. But, you know, I want to go on tour with these kind of things, possibly, or do them where it's like annual. But you know, make these experiences. And I think ephemeral might be the word where it's like in a time span, like it's in a specific fixed time span. Like I'm not posting it on my feed and it lived there forever. Or if it does live there forever, you can only experience it through the lens of that camera that shot it. You know what I mean? You're not experiencing it through your actual eyeballs and feeling it through your actual senses, which is something totally different and cannot be compared to something that you see through you know, the four corners of your screen or your phone. And so I'm just really interested in this, you know, a natural experience of us being human and the fact that we can't deny experiencing something in person and want to facilitate that. Yeah, no, that that's, all sounds awesome. Um, so what's some advice for upcoming artists who are wanting to get into fashion, wanting to get into painting? Um, you know, no matter the creative, what's some upcoming advice that you wish that you had known um, before you've gotten to the point that you have now? Um, let me think of something. I mean, what I usually tell people is really to believe in yourself. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to say something that's necessarily cliche, although I feel like belief takes on a, a lot of different forms. Well, I'll put it like this. Learn learn uh, what manifestation is and learn uh, <clears throat> just the power of be, believing something and having an idea and knowing that it can come to you if you actually work towards it. I feel like everything is out there for you to explore. Everything is out there for you to see and touch and feel. There is no right or wrong answer. There's only opinions. Look and see what you like. Be honest with yourself. Go touch it in real life. Go feel it see what you want to be 
and then reverse engineer it or try to figure out how to reverse engineer it. See somebody who's already been there. See somebody who's on their way there and learn from them and keep on moving and learn from them and keep on moving and learn from them and keep on moving. And also, while you're on the journey, I mean, and, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard because, you know, we all want to make a living and, you know, it's kind of hard for people to get people to buy in or believe in uh, into what you do if it's unconventional. But, you know, you can't wait for everybody to catch up. You just got to do what feels right to you and just be honest with yourself. That's what's going to make you the most happy. And whatever you do, do it all the way a thousand percent. Don't half-ass it. Just go all the way. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I've never really like added on to um, this question. I've mean, asked it in the past, but I feel like that really aligns with with some of the advice that I've been given recently. That's been really impactful to me because you know, being a designer, you have to think about marketability. But you know, we all have personal projects. We all have our own curiosities. And one of the some of the advice that I got recently that was really impactful was just. Um, you know, making something marketable can always come after. But if you want the, your strongest work, like pursue your curiosities. Exactly. Like curiosity is the the most powerful and one of the first tools that you should have if you're going to be an artist. Because if you can't pursue your curiosities, then uh, what are you creating for? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, is there any other upcoming events or projects that you have coming up that you want to talk about? Um, I think those are the two main ones, really. Um, you know, April 3rd, April 4th, you know, April 3rd, you know, I got the Lynch Memorial, which is a mural that I have going on the Black Archives, and uh, that's going to be a huge exhi- exhibition. It's not just my mural that's going up, it's, it's an entire exhibition. The mural is just a part of the exhibition, and it's, it's going to be huge. You got to go see that, and then uh. Under the Rose, Jonah Rose's senior thesis. It's going to be huge. I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, it's going to be crazy. So be on the lookout. Um, yeah, I have more for y'all to, for y'all to see. Y'all can uh, check out what I got going on on Instagram at Charles Swavy, C-H-A-R-L-E-S-S-W-A-V-Y. Um, you check out my portfolio, prices, commissions, all that. SwavyCustom.com S-W-A-V-Y Custom.com Check it out Keep y'all posted Yeah, awesome I've really enjoyed this conversation Thank you for sharing What you've got going on, man And uh, thank you for linking up with me Yeah, for sure Me too, bro Thank you for turning into The Link Podcast Check out Charles Swavy On Instagram At Charles Swavy And at Swavy Customs That's S-W-A-V-Y support the events that he's a part of and continue to seek connection and community.